Welcome to Kineo Stream of Thought, a monthly podcast that features informal chat from the Kineo team about all things learning. I'm Paul Westlake, Solutions Consultant at Kineo, and today we're going to be speaking about how your platform can help you deliver a great learning experience. I'm pleased to say this time I'm joined by... Emily Berry, Learning Consultant. David Shaw, Lead Solution Architect. And I'm Steve Foy and I'm an Account Manager. So what I thought we'd talk about this month is um, there's a lot of buzz around um, NextGen for LMS and ecosystems, a lot of which we've spoke about before and on previous podcasts. But I wonder if we're actually losing sight of what the learner actually wants and what a good experience looks like for that learner. So maybe we need to take a step back and think about what exactly it is that they want and need, and more importantly, how we design a system that can deliver that. If I can, um, if if I can kick off here, uh, just by kind of going through the easy stuff, I think there are some some basics that we uh, that we would all expect as learners to uh, to get from a, a learning platform, whether it's an LMS or any other kind of learning platform. I think we want it to um, we want it to have content that we're interested in and that's that's good. Um, we want it to work, so that means reliability. We want it to be fast enough, it perform well, and we want it to be um, easy to navigate and easy to find the things that we want to do. I mean, there's a starter for ten. I think from a navigation point of view, you're always looking at different user experiences that people need. There's always the compliance side of things and induction that people need to do. So they're very structured ways of learning. But then you've got the wider general knowledge. I'm trying to learn something new. I want more from an LMS. I want some more content to learn things from. And so that journey of the wider looking for something needs to be tailored for as well. But do you think part of that problem comes from the fact that traditionally it was a compliance platform? So compliance stuff sat on there. It wasn't somewhere I would go and browse for, for content particularly, and therefore maybe the sites weren't designed in that way originally? Uh, I think the technology wasn't designed that way, and I think a lot of sites weren't designed that way. I think over the years it's become a... Uh, uh, a bigger thing that people need to widen out from that compliance pathway. An LMS at its basic level says, here's a bunch of stuff you need to do. Yep. You need to go in, here's the thing I need to complete, you finish it, you go away. But actually, it's been now seen as a, a career, it's been seen as a way to further somebody's career, to help them in their current job, to expand their knowledge. So having the ability to suggest content to people, make it more personalised to their job role or maybe to a job role that they're looking for needs to be tailored for a lot more these days. So what's, what's, what's the real basics? I mean, Steve, you mentioned a couple there, but I mean, for me, if I go on to um, a website, navigation is obviously the first one. Um, I need to be able to find what I want to find relatively quickly. And I think the second one for me, when we're talking about LMSs, and obviously we're all users of LMSs as well as people that design them, is this idea of, you know, single sign-on's got to be a must, right? I, I think single sign-on is, is a must. It's uh, it's one of those things that we probably, most of us, take for granted now. But um, but not having single sign-on means that you've you've presented an obstacle to the learner. So you've, you've put one barrier in their place. And I think it's interesting that you were just referencing when you go on a website. And I think that that is kind of at the heart of of what we're talking about here with user experience and, and learning management systems. With learning management systems, we've moved away from a, a sort of transactional piece of, well, a transactional interaction between the learner and some mandatory content. And we're moving more to a sort of consumerist model, which is why 
learning management systems have to compete and they have to show the same sorts of courtesy to a learner that a website would show to a, to a consumer. So if it's, if it's not easy to get to, then people won't go there. If the content's no good, they won't go there. So you have to take away the obstacles and you have to make things inviting and you have to entice that learner. I, th I think that's really key. And it, you know, it's not just the fact that we're frustrating people and potentially preventing them from coming back in the future. We're actually impeding the learning process because if people are not at ease, they're not going to be open to acquiring new knowledge and, and new skills, um, which is obviously the complete opposite of what we want to achieve. So how do we do that then? I think there's a level of personalisation that's needed. Um, the, part of it is based on the data that we know about people and the experience that we give them so that when they come along, we know who they are and what they are. We don't necessarily have to ask them. Or we find smart ways of asking them questions that will tailor uh, the content for them to see. We can make recommendations, those kind of things. You know, that the AI gets talked about a lot, but it's, it's just different ways of doing that basic piece of work, which is saying, here's some things you might find interesting. Yeah, but from a, I'll, I'll challenge that a little bit because I think you're right if it's done well and it provides a good user experience. But I think we've all seen, you know, dumb AI as well, for, for want of a better phrase, which was, you know, once you've seen through what it's actually trying to do and why it's, you know, you went here, therefore your next logical step is here. Well, no, it's not. You know, and, and, you know, once you've seen through that, that the sort of the belief in the system sort of falls over a bit. I mean, we... In our industry, we're constantly being asked at the moment about you know whole, the whole Netflix thing, aren't we? Designing it like Netflix because Netflix is great and it's got a load of content on there. Everyone likes browsing through it. But I don't know, you know I don't know how many of you actually have Netflix at home. I know David, you said you didn't, but my experience of Netflix is when you go into it now, you get a huge splash screen at the top that's playing a trailer automatically, which is pushing the latest and greatest, whatever they want to do. Below that, you have maybe four or five recommendations based on stuff that I've watched before. So there's clearly an awful lot of content in there that I've still never seen and never been aware of. So it does feel very much because you watch Luther, therefore the only things you're going to be interested in are other UK-based crime thrillers. You know, and it's like, well, actually, no, I want, to, I want to find other things. So when I want to find that other stuff, it's got to be easy for me to navigate to it. But at the same time... If we do want to watch something a bit like Luther again, then find that. I know I'm asking for the world there, but I think that's what our learners are asking for as well. And surely good, a good user experience would be able to cater for both of those worlds. I think if you're, if you're trying to improve or create a positive user experience, um, the, the bottom line is that there is some work to be done. And that, that's, that involves some kind of rigour and methodology. It involves some analysis of your target audience. You need to know your target audience. You need to know how they want to use the system. And it might be that your target audience is, is very diverse and, and will want to use the system in a number of ways. So you have to, you have to build that into your, into your design and your launch and, and the way that you set the, the platform up. Um, you need to be able to show person A from finance that this is where their content is. You need to show person B from marketing that this is where their content is and then maybe there are some things that all of those people need to use and so you need to kind of present that in a certain way as well um, you need to remove obstacles so you need to find out from those learners you know what are the obstacles that you normally come across and then you need to work your way through that list and get rid of them um, you need to find out what content is successful and that everybody needs to do and then you need to make that content better and you need to make it cover all the things that those people need to, need to cover 
So is there maybe a, a bit of a... So if someone's already got an LMS in place, they're not going to start again with a blank sheet of paper. Is that how, how are they going to do that? So would you maybe suggest that we could look at sort of a, almost a mapping a user's journey, a traditional user's journey through that, but from a number of different personas maybe? So, you know, here's a new starter. This is where they find the stuff they need. Here's someone who's established. And maybe, and I'm sure we'll come on to this in a minute, we also need to consider... What about people that you know the admins of the system, and what about managers? Where do they get reports, etc.? So, how do we do that? Is that a uh, like a, a a mapping exercise? Do we think? Yep, absolutely. I think we should identify all of the audience groups and then do that mapping exercise. Look at their goals um, and ensure that the LMS is uh, you know enabling people to to meet those. I think crucially, though. You know, a lot of the time that is based on assumptions. So the key thing for me is that we would then validate those assumptions with the end users themselves. And um, I think actually talking about, you know, sort of reviewing an LMS that's already in situ, there are some even simpler things that we can do to improve the user experience. Things like just consistency and accuracy of the copy that we have on the LMS. Um, you know, has the person who's described the, the the course or the resource that people are accessing even looked at the looked at that? You know, looked at the content. Do they understand it? Um, is the time that we've estimated it will take someone to complete accurate? Um, I think it's those those small things that actually do contribute to the to the end user experience. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's a good point. I mean, going back in the day, I remember an LMS system I used to work with and. Search was on there, but I mean, it was search in the loosest terms, unless you put in the exact spelling. And to your point, if someone spelled it wrong, you've got no chance. But it, you know, there was a lot of acronyms flying about. So if you put in shift management, for example, and yet the course was called SM, whatever it may be, as an, it was never going to find it. And it, the second you put that in, you thought, well, I know it's there, I, I can actually see it. You know, it's like when you search through e e email, isn't it? And you can't find it, and you think, well, like, I can see it in the list. It just becomes so frustrating that, that, that you, you just almost lose. Or the system lose any credibility that it had, I think. Absolutely. So whether that's through keywording or whatever. But what about if we've already got a system, and maybe, David, it's something you might, might want to pick up, how do we continue to expand that system, if you like, to make the experience better and better? I think it's a, uh, a continuous cycle of looking at how people are using the site, what people are using it, whether they can find particular bits of information. You can do that through, uh, you know, analytics, Google Analytics for for example, is a really simple one. So you can tell what people are using, where they're going. Do they stop using it at a particular place? Yeah. You know, those simple user journeys, you can map. And actually, then you look at it and you go, well, we need to change that bit. So it's not a static experience. The worst thing that can happen is that they, somebody comes along, they start their new job, they see the LMS, they do their compliance training, and then... You know, in a year's time, they come back because they're a bit bored or, you know, they know what they're doing and they want to further their career. And it looks exactly the same. Yeah. Nothing has changed. There's no reason to go back to it. I've done that. And there's UX can be a big pull to actually make it usable and somewhere that people want to go and make it easy to go and have interesting information on there. That doesn't come from the platform itself. That comes from the content that's been put in and the people that look after it. And you need people to curate content, put the right content in there, make things obvious to people that there are things that they can do, internal communications about actually using it or why people should sure. be using it and the benefits of going in are all things that can be done. But if you end up on a site that's unusable and not any good, nobody's going to go back to it. Yeah. So UX is really important to, 
make it simple and interesting and relevant content that people can find or making it easy. You're talking about search just now. You can go the other way. Search can be rubbish, but it can also be over the top and it can return thousands of results. Sure. You know, Google's a good example. You, you search for something. I know it's got a, a big thing to search for, the whole of the internet, but nobody ever goes onto the second page. You, you click on the first four links. So you have to But you avoid the adverts first. No, you yeah. avoid, avoid the three or four sponsor bonds and then the fourth link, probably. Absolutely, but yeah. yeah. But you know, you go to the, the fourth proper. <laughs> but you never click on the second page. So your content, the, the search has to be relevant for what you're looking for. And actually, that is, again, incredibly difficult to do. I really like what you're saying there, David. And also, I like the point that you said um, around, you know, the user experience actually begins sort of way before the LMS with those internal communications. So... Um, you know, it's how we market the learning in the first place to, to get them onto the LMS. And I think quite often, particularly in the sort of compliance space, we're still saying things like, oh, you know, we have a zero uh, tolerance approach to bribery and corruption. That's not really going to motivate me as a, you know, as an individual to, that's, to that's go onto you, the LMS. That's for you as the exactly. L&D team's goal, not yours. Yeah. No, absolutely right. And, and I think part of that is getting back to that idea of what's right for the learner, isn't it? So, you know, try, trying to keep the learner in mind, which is, is, is I think, what, where, where we're going with that. I mean, the, the other thing, David, you said earlier about um, personalisation. So is this the idea of, you know, if I come in, I am a new starter, I need to know exactly what I need to do right now and make that easy for me. I, th I think it also needs to be simple for me to then go and browse if I want to, but as you say, find stuff. So how, how, do, how do we do those two things? There's a good analogy that you can use. You can uh, compare them to your journey through an airport or going to visit a museum. Compliance is an airport. You go in, there's a, a queue. There is a set order of things you need to do. You queue up and you hand your ticket in. You queue up again to go through passport. You queue up to get onto the plane. You sit down and you go somewhere. In the seat and that you've been allocated. Absolutely, and you've done it, and that's brilliant. And that's compliance training, and that's your induction training. Except you don't get a holiday at the end of your compliance <laughs> training. <laughs> it would be nice if you, you did, though, one. wouldn't it? <laughs> there are work trips as well. <laughs> uh, but from a museum point of view, I, I don't know if you've been to the Natural History Museum, but you go in... And it's a massive hallway with loads of arches around. And you've got uh, titles over each one of those arches for the areas that you want to go and look at. So I want to go and study rocks or dinosaurs or birds. And so actually it's making my life easier to go in, find what I want to learn. I go into a room that's about a particular subject. I can go in and I can browse through that room and find well, things I guess even interest. Yeah, me. even taking that a step further, you're right, you walk into that room and you can browse the the cases just by looking at things but if you wanted to really go into it you can start reading more detail about things and absolutely sort of or deeper. buy the book in the uh, in the shop and not on your way out but yeah if, if i follow your analogy one of the most frustrating things i think i find with the way some lmss are designed is that if we follow that through you get into that room and you've read that that last piece and that's it now everyone turns out the lights and you've no idea how the hell to get anywhere else or how to get back or how do i navigate or where do i go next yeah so i think it's that that learner journey's got to be, right, I've done that, I've finished that bit of learning, what happens next? And I think in a lot of cases, that's even when we do testing, people forget to say, yeah, it works, it's fine, it's done, and it, it's tracked, it's SCORM tracked, I've produced a report, everything's fine. So it's that, going beyond that learner journey, thinking, well, what will people do next, isn't it? And how do they yeah. get back, and how do they navigate if they do go in the wrong direction? Part of it is curation. That, you know, you go into a museum, rooms are curated, Things are relevant. There's a journey. There's a story within that room that's told. And you can do that with learning and training and those sorts of things. But 
you don't have to finish it. You can go in and go, you know what, this isn't for me. This isn't what I'm interested in. I'll walk back into the main lobby and go and look at something else. Sure. Or I'm just going to browse. Or they've got a big placard up that says, hey, here's a new exhibition. Let's go and have a look at that. So, you know, there are always guy... Um, there are always signposts to take you to interesting things, things that you might not have thought about that maybe might interest you, and you can ignore them if you want to, but you know they're, they're there if it's something new and something people are talking about. Yeah, and I, and I guess you could potentially make a note on your, on your map and say, right, we're going to come back to that later on if, if you've got time, which, again, from a user experience perspective... That's what I do every time I'm in Apple Music, for example. You know, I'll add something to a play. I don't want to listen to it now, but I like that album. I want to listen to that next week or, or tomorrow or whatever. And the chances are it may not come around again. So, so I guess people have got sort of these behaviours they're used to doing, whether that be pin something for watching it later in Netflix or, as I say, you know, um, sort of marking a tune for me to listen later. So are we trying to introduce those sort of behaviours... Or are we trying to cater for those behaviours in LMS systems that we design? I think we have to, don't we? If we're trying to compete with those consumer-grade platforms that are out there and um, mim mimicking the, you know, the kind of experience learners are getting in, in their day-to-day -day world. I think it's an important uh, item to have because people don't have lots of time at work. You, know, you, can put, you can set aside a certain amount of time for training, but the reality is you're not going to have two hours a day you're going to have an hour once a week. And so actually finding something and saying that's something I want to come back to is a useful thing to have. I, I think it's one of those things where if we don't have it there, it would be glaringly obvious we don't have it there. But I think there's more and more of these things where it's, it, there is a process in place to be able to mark something and come back to it. And, you know... That's what you want to do with your learning, isn't it? You want to pause it right here and pick it up later on. I mean, Sky TV at home, you know, you can stop watching in one room and pick it up in another room, for example. You know, it's just, I think people are used to doing this sort of stuff. I mean, that, that's all fine from a learner's perspective. But what if we want to go a little bit further? Steve, I know we were chatting earlier in the, uh, the green room um, about um, managers and managers using LMSs for reporting and stuff. So what do we think they're expecting that's a, that's a good point, Paul. Um, I, I think um, the the learners obviously come first when we're talking about experience, but um, but the admins, are, those poor admins, they're um, they're often <laughs> overlooked, and um, and you know they've got they've got an important job to do. And, and by admins, we might be talking about the system administrator, we might be talking about people who look after courses or kind of cohorts of learners, and um, and they they need to get certain things from the LMS as well. I mean, they are learners too, obviously, but as admins, they need to know. Um, who's doing what, uh, how much of it they've done, whether it's working. Uh, they need to look at feedback if people are giving feedback. Um, and they need to be able to do that really quickly and efficiently in, a, in much the same way that we're saying, you know, if you're browsing content, it's got to be easy. If you want some, some key kind of data, top-line figures, then, um, then that also needs to be easy. And you, and you want, presumably, to be able to visualise that or have somebody visualise it for you so that you don't have to go through a lengthy CSV file. Um, so I think you know we're all used to seeing data visualization all the time now. So in, whether you're you know a Fitbit user or a Garmin user or, or any of those other kind yep. of fitness apps, you know they're all about data visualization. They're all about seeing where you are on your way to achieving your goals, and and that's the kind of thing that I think admins will really benefit from from having too. And you know we're seeing a lot of that now in in, in our work and, and you know out there in the wider marketplace. So how do we design 
for those admins. I mean, it seems a bit of an odd one, doesn't it? Because obviously someone's having to pay us to, to, to sort of really go to town with the design of something that maybe one or two people are going to see. I guess I would caveat that by saying the flip side may be that um, in a lot of cases, those are the actual decision makers in the first place for purchasing the system. So maybe we do want to keep those people happy. But um, David, how can we tidy up those admin systems or make that easier? What sort of things are people asking us for? It tends to be dashboards, so summarised data at a high level. The reality is nobody really knows exactly what they want to see, and so you need to leave it to be flexible. So we can put some example reports in, you know, how many people have completed something, what compliance rates you've got. But the reality is that when people start using it, they see new use cases. They say, actually, we need this extra piece of data. Or, actually, this isn't giving us anything meaningful. Let's take this off. And so, like the rest of the system, it's actually something that's always evolving. You use it. You see if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, you change it. And so the flexibility, again, is an important thing. It's not having a set, defined set of reports. It's being able to say, well, here's a starting place with my reports. Do these work for me? Do I need to change them? What do other people in the business need now I've started distributing this data? So it's without going off at a tangent here, from what I'm picking up from what you're saying there is what we might design on day one might not necessarily be where we end up in 6, 9, 12, 18 months' time or whatever it may be. So is there a, a potential school of thought to say we want to start pretty basic and find out what our learners are actually asking us for or what our users, sorry, let's not call them learners because we're talking about managers here and we're talking about system admins as well, and then helping the system grow and around what they're actually asking for. Absolutely. I mean, as Emily said earlier, we're looking at real people with real use cases, asking them actually how they want to use the system and what's useful for them. But the reality is that when people think about it, when they start using it, it's not what they thought they wanted. And so you need to continually involve, evolve these things. So you can ask them the questions to begin with. You can build it to do that. But then every now and then you need to go back and you need to look at how it's being used. Is it meeting people's needs? And how do we do that? That's Surely we don't want to start again, do we? We don't want to say, well, we need new LMS now based on your requirements today. I mean, is there things we can bolt on or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these things, we, you know, we use plugins a lot. Um, the flexibility of an LMS allows you to move things around. So if something isn't working on a particular page, for instance, you move it somewhere else, you redesign. So you're not going through and starting again. You've got the same content, you've got the same base system, but you can change the journeys through it and where things are on the site to make it more usable for, by people to meet actually how they're really using it as opposed to how they thought they were going to use it. And Emily, you, you, you focus probably as much on designing content as you do on designing LMS systems, if you like. So how, how do you go about sort of almost blurring that line between OK, I'm now in the LMS, now I've stopped that, I've gone off to the learning and I'm going to come back again. Is that something that our learners are expecting, sort of like feel like a, just an overall web experience? I, I think it feels very jarring when you don't get that kind of seamless journey from one to the other. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to know actually how many sort of uh, instructional designers out there do have accessibility to the LMS or, or let me phrase that differently, you know, whether they ask for accessibility um, yeah. Do they know which the LMS, LMS is even exactly, going to sit on? Because, yeah. you know, visibility of that can alter the design decisions that you make for the learning that, you know, um, that you access through the LMS. So it could be that you find out that actually a learner has to take 
10 clicks to get to a piece of learning in the first place. Therefore, you might design your learning so that it doesn't have a menu, so that once you are through that journey on the LMS, you can go straight into the content. And I think that visibility as well of the LMS can influence other design choices you make within the learning. So you might want to mirror the navigation, for example, that's used. Um, even the branding, you know, bring some of the, you know, the, the, the colour palette through. Um, so I think there's lots to be had from just joining everything up. Yeah, and I think that's going to become more and more relevant when we start going further down the ecosystems route, if you like, because you use the word jarring, and that's what it feels like to me. You know, it's I've done. I'm clearly going off in a different direction here. How do I get back to the learner? I think it's got to feel sort of seamless. Yeah. I don't know how we do that. <laughs> and to be fair, you know, as as a learner, I'm not sure. I that, that's my concern. That's just what I I want. I think it's quite important. We sort of hide all the working away somewhere, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's that's the challenge that we have, and that's our problem. Is that we, you know, we work with our clients to make these journeys as seamless as we can. Single sign-on, as you mentioned at the beginning, is a really good example. You're not asking people to log in over and over again, but making sure that everything looks similar if it needs to. There are definite use cases where you want two systems to look completely different. So what are you thinking about maybe learners and managers or that, that sort of thing? Well, when you're doing two completely different things, if you've got a social site and you've got an LMS, you might want the two merged together. And if that's the user journey you're looking for, then you make them look the same. But there are examples where you can say, we want this social site to be a separate thing from what we see as a compliance training mm-hmm. site. Therefore, we will brand it up differently. People aren't confused that this is where I go and chat and share and this is where I go right. and do my compliance. And that, that comes up sometimes. Most of the time, it's making them look the same. But you always have to make sure that you're making that definition between systems clear. Clear, That's absolutely. Fair. And it can be smooth to jump between them. So it's an easy transition. But there's a, there's a, mind, there's a mindset that you have to have to say... But even at that point, it feels like different areas of the site or going back to your museum it's, it's a different you've moved into a different era or a different region or whatever it yeah. may be but ultimately you're still with all in the same building absolutely there's nothing wrong with going into a different room and it looking different because it's doing something different um, but keeping those that consistency across different areas being a making it easy to jump between them is a really important good ux thing to do as well as designers of systems, I think it's fair to say that we're all users as well, aren't we? So maybe just have a quick round robin to, to tie up and say, what, what is it that you look for? What's the one or couple of user experience nuggets you absolutely must have in a site that you go to? Um, I want to be able to get to the content quickly and I don't want to see anything that I don't have access to. Okay. Uh, Personalisation, make the content relevant to me. I think for me it's a cluster of words that sums things up really. It's, you know, is it useful, is it usable, is it efficient, um, seamless, that seems to have been, you know, the word of the day today really. Yeah, and, and I'll add even further with seamless because we haven't alluded to this yet, but I need it to be seamless to, irrespective of which device I'm using it on. So I, I want a good experience when I'm on the train on my phone looking at the site. I need to, you know, when I'm on the iPad and I've got a little bit more space, that's fine. When I'm a desktop, you know what, go to town and make it easy for it. But ultimately, it's got to feel joined up and it's got to feel like I know where I'm going and I can find what I need, where I need and, and quickly. 
If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can reach out to us on Twitter where we're at Kineo or visit us at www.kineo.com. <laughs>